Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, Kev, we're back again with a lot more good content for our listeners, and we started all for the replay. What do we got today? Well, for the replay and the horror story, we're going back to Weekend at Bernie's. So, buddy, my Bernie's going to be coming on to talk about a roofing job so our, our listeners can understand what they can get when they're getting a roof and some of the things that we should talk about with roofers for any of our listeners across the country that are getting a roof. And then Bernie's going to come on to talk about some horror stories. We've been having a doozy what, roof, horror ho- roof horror stories? <laughs> and then some. Okay. But yeah, we've been, we've been talking a lot about roofing over the last couple of weeks, and we have a few more shows we're going to talk about, which I'm going to get into more detail on the social media side coming up in the future. People just need to know about certain things. So, And I know we have a great college. What have we got today? What we got today is a follow-up to what was distributed last week. We had Dan George on from Escape Tiny Homes. If you look at the stats, it, it scored the highest so far in terms of popularity of all the shows that we've done. And it was really interesting. We got him back again to talk about a development he's got going on near Tampa. We've got Escape Vacations to talk about because he's got these units all over the country in 12 states around the country. And we're going to talk about his free program. program. I'll take four of those free programs right here, right now. So Perfect. Stay tuned. It gets real interesting. All right, let's jump at the replay. We have Bernie on the phone. We're going to talk about one of his roof jobs he just recently completed. It was a really neat roof because today about trying to get material is extremely difficult. So, Bernie, thanks again for coming on your Valuable Home podcast for the first time on the podcast, but I know you're on radio before with us. And uh, we want to get into just some of the things that you're seeing out there with the, the roofing industry. And, and we're going to talk about one of the jobs that, that you recently done. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Roofing. I know there's a lot of colors that have the variety of having a lot of colors, but I think right now it's a little bit cut down by a lot of manufacturers. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Way down. Almost two thirds of the shingles are not available. Colors and styles. So most of the manufacturers are making their basic style in about six colors, and they've pretty much discontinued about six different upgrades. Is that permanent? Well, they don't know. They don't know. They're not really saying. For the foreseeable future is what we keep here. If you want a really sculptured shingle, I'm sure that's not a standard shingle, right? Absolutely. Yeah, big problem. We have one right now that we're waiting on. It's a 50 square roof, which is a big roof. They want a woodland shingle and we just can't get it. We can't tell them when it's available. You know, it's, it's frustrating to the homeowner and us. So what is a woodland shingle? It's a GAF architectural heavyweight shingle. It's in their designer line. Do they have a lot of variety of colors back before COVID? They have where you can actually pick more variety than just a few colors. Because I remember back when they had the elk roofing, there was only three colors if you had more of the premium line. But sometimes they, they minimize that. Is that still available in all their colors? The woodland shingle is not available in any colors right now. And they used to make it in six. Okay. That's a good option now, zero colors. You know what it reminds me of that, that my cousin Vinny went with the breakfast that one day? And you, have, you get two choices, breakfast or lunch. Yeah, <laughs> two exactly. breakfasts. It seems like that's what you exactly. have now. Well, it's like no choice. It's no breakfast or no lunch with that shingle. Their base shingle, their Timberline uh, shingle is available, but really only in about six colors. Are the colors the problem? I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Manufacturing, I think, is the issue. So they're, they're having trouble filling the factories uh, with workers, and they've dropped their lines down to very minimal what they need to survive. Hmm. Something new, unusual right now in this day and age. So what are the, the main colors that you're selling now? Charcoal, hickory pewter mostly the grays the blacks and like two browns are available so a real popular color is hasn't been available in a year it's uh williamsburg slate it's gray with red beautiful shingle hasn't hasn't been available in over a year that's a gaf shingle gaf timberline that's yeah bernie used a lot of gaf we had gf on the show uh, sometime earlier this year 
And we had the voice from JF, and it was a great segment on it. And it's just understanding about the roofing now, not blaming any roofing company out there. I, I get it. everybody's having a shortage with this, but it's just a trickle effect that Bernie talked about. It goes to the hey, the contractor, why can't you get the product? And they're starting to blame the contractor. Contractor's well, got nothing to do with it. Yeah, you can't yeah. get the product. So you go to another contractor, they're going to have the same problem. So that's what we're just trying to talk about. There are a few varieties and colors that you can choose from, but there's other options, I'm sure, that we can do. Like there's polymer shingles that I've seen out there, there's metal roofing, there's all kinds of shingles that are out there, isn't there? Well, there are metal, they're metal shingles now, too, Provia. Yeah, we're going to have them on coming up. There's solar shingles now. There's, there's a lot of different stuff, but solar hasn't been perfected yet. A lot of people are going to metal. I don't have a ton of experience in metal shingles. There are some guys having some good success with it, though. It's a real nice product. Well, you put it on, and it's, done. it's one and done, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the thought process. But we've seen some other things come out as one and done in the past and, you know, haven't been proven quite yet. But the, but the steel seems to be holding up. They're like a granular coated steel. So they're, they're a nice product. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, when before COVID, we used to go to these seminars. Like a lot of the manufacturers had these big seminars. You get to see some of the new products that they had. And one of them was like a thick rubber roofing that looked like slate. I thought that was going to be the whirlwind, but I, again, I, I haven't really invested because I don't. You and I saw that we went to the ABC show. Yeah, about we went down five there. years ago, and they and they that was a big deal. There. That was a great looking product, I, but I don't I don't do roofing, so I don't really keep well, up. You would with the see times. it around. Do you see it, Bernie? They went more to the plastic. I think they had some trouble when it was the heavy rubber. They had curling issues with it, so they would put it on, and once it baked in the sun a little bit, the top would shrink, and the bottom would expand, and they curl upwards. So like a weathered cedar look. Yeah, yeah, like really weathered, <laughs> you know. But they've gone to some plastics and stuff like that that are really nice. Um, there's not, especially slate, something that looks like slate. There's a lot of synthetic products out there to, to give you the slate look, you know, that's easier than using real slate and a lighter. Well, what are the cost comparison between the, the asphalt shingle compared to this? So to, to, to like a synthetic slate, you're talking about probably on a regular house type roof, you're probably three times the cost. Three times. Yeah, so you've got to have some some dinero to, to back that up, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a specialty. You know, there's not too many people going with it. Um, you know, labor's tough right now. So finding someone to do work in some specialty type labor is very hard right now. Kind of back to the whole COVID thing. What it's, happened to all those people, or is it just because there's so much demand all at one time that the whole building supply products industry is choking right now well i think it's i think it's a combination i think it's a combination of high demand not a ton of people looking for jobs right now they've been working they're happy working and and most of the people that are working now are the ones that you know want to be out working there's not too many people looking for jobs that's the trickle effect that we're having through because we see it on my end which is appliances we're still having trouble when we're doing kitchens appliances cabinets have been pretty good windows have been a little delayed but there's still no big uh, shortages of getting product. If you order a product, you're going to get that product. What about lumber? Take, uh, they're just through the roof. That's why I, I see a big slow up. I do talk to a couple of the manufacturers and a couple of the local lumber yards. They see a slow up already happen because people don't want to pay that price. They're going to wait till next year, hoping that everything gets back to normal so that price can lower. But I, I said, don't cross your fingers. It's going to be dropping down where, where it was back pre-COVID. It's going to be probably somewhere between probably for the next year or so until we get everything worked out nationwide might even might even be longer than that i mean to everything gets worked out you know siding's the same deal right now so vinyl siding we have a certain teed siding list of all their products and the ones in red are discontinued temporarily with no start update and i have more red on the per than than non-red so they're not making more than they make as far as their choices and colors and styles Hmm. i had to pick up a couple jobs or one or two pieces of a standard siding because I, i moved a window and they said, listen, we're not going to be doing siding now. We're going to wait a little bit, but uh, maybe just fill that in. I'm like, well, I'll get something comparable, but it's one of the local products, so it's not a big deal. I couldn't get it. Two pieces of white siding, double four. <laughs> I couldn't get it. This was two months ago, and then we were the one we just finished up, couldn't get two pieces of it. We don't even know when. They said, we don't even know when it's going to come in. So it's nothing special. It's just a double four Dutch lap siding. One of the things we do have to talk about, we're going to take a little break and get right into the horror story, horror story and yeah. there's going to be a lot of them. So Bernie's got a few of them that our listeners need to understand if they're going to be getting a roof, they should really take this in consideration. So Bernie, hang tight. Okay, Kev, Barney's back, right? Yeah, and he's got some doozer horror stories to talk about. Roofing 101, not what, what people don't do 101. So, Barney, I know you and I, we talk a lot, and I see some of your posts that you do put, which is great because the listeners that you have through social media, plus the following that we have, we can really give our listeners great education on what not to do. And basically what I always tell people is that, you know what, about 95% of the roofing jobs that I've seen over the past six months have been done wrong. So why don't we guide some people in the right direction? But here's what we need to do it, is that what are you seeing that these roofers are doing wrong? 
Well, I mean, a lot. And it's been for a long time. One big one that comes to mind, it's something I just saw yesterday. Drove by a job in my town and the roof had been loaded previously. So they put all the shingles on top of the roof. They had about 15 square of shingles sitting in one pile, which is almost two tons of shingles sitting in one pile on a ridge of the roof in a home, you know, that that people live in. This doesn't sound like it's going to have a happy ending. So the homeowner isn't aware really a lot of times of the weight and everything else in, in the structure of the house. So it's just a dangerous situation. You have people living in a house with two tons in a pile that's three feet by five feet wide. So it's all concentrated into a small area. All concentrated into a small area mm-hmm. and a little wind pressure or something. A storm comes through, some wind, and it moves the house a little bit and the things drop through to the basement. So that's one thing. Anybody who would load a roof like that probably, you know, missed uh, checking on the guys or just didn't know what they were doing. The next biggest thing is probably step flashings. Any vertical wall line uses step flashings where the shingles meet the siding. So in your opinion, step flashing, is that the number one area cause of leaks because roofers don't replace them? Yeah. Wall lines would be the number one cause for a leak. We find a lot of times that when we take the siding off to do new step flashings, we find that there's no underlayment behind the siding, which is needed. A lot of people don't realize that siding is not waterproof and you need a vapor barrier behind there that goes on top of the step flashings to properly drain water that gets behind. You know, So we find that issue a ton. My whole development, all the townhouses in my development, the roofs are being done over. We accrued for most of the cost of that. And Kevin got involved in this too. We had a drama when my roof was done and the drama involved, how do you install properly uh, ice shield? shield. That was part one of the problem. Part two of the problem was, do you put in a leaf guard? And I would never do it. I would never put in a leaf guard because we looked at this one house, the guy put in the leaf guard. You had to put the leaf guard underneath the inside edge of the thing. It was ridiculous what this guy did. What what happens sometimes, some of the older ones, the product's going to sit on top, whether it's going to be the leaves, uh, debris, whatever you have through there. But the problems I have over the, since gutter guards came out is and i've been to a lot of them it does help don't get me wrong it does help but you have that dirt that builds on the bottom especially in the summer it starts right. to bake in there and it covers those holes up i was just at uh, one of the jobs we were going to be doing and the gutter just in that area i had to pull the gutter guard which is almost impossible to pull some of these off to get in there to break the little surface bond that covers that hole yeah but aren't you going to destroy the gutter guard if you do that the older versions you are the newer yeah. versions you can pull off a lot easier but th- that was the big thought process. i'll tell you they, they don't if you don't have a lot of big trees around your house they don't make any sense to me at all those gutter guards no, i still like getting up there and clean i still do my i get up and clean them i, well, I like some, listen way. some people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on gutter guards for their house and uh, we could go into a whole nother nightmare segment on just following behind some of these high-end gutter guard companies that put holes right through the roof. But people spend this money on the gutter guards where they can have them clean twice a year for probably 175 bucks each. So what's that, 20 years worth of yeah. gutter? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so you could put some big, you know, big oversized gutters, I think are a good thing. I think a lot of people are selling five-inch gutters. Six inches is a really good gutter product. It moves a lot more water. Yeah, we had the we had the latitude to do a five or six option. I went with the six. Six, yeah, that's the way to go. I think the faster you can get the water out of there, the better off you are, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you're doing the gutters and, and Kevin's a big proponent of this, there's really no code on it as far as wrapping ice and water shield down the fascia board. But Amen. Uh, that's really the way to do it. You put that on, you, you get your drip edge on there, you know, install the gutter with the drip edge over top of the gutter is very important. A lot of people do it backwards. Little things like that that make a big difference. Well, a couple of the developments that I was into and I was advocating, and I've been doing this for years of advocating because I don't, as you know, and our listeners, I don't physically do roofing. I don't want no parts of it anymore. I'm getting too old for that. But I've been saying about the ice shield and the one development I was in, I said, well, listen, if you don't do it this way during the summer, you know what? It's never going to affect you. Well, I'm telling you, so do you really need to go that way? But last year we had an issue called ice damming. It was all that snow and coming in and the, the warm, the cold mixing. It was like the perfect storm. We were getting hundreds and hundreds of phone calls. What do I do? Like, Matt, there's nothing you can do. It's a brand new roof. I know, but if you didn't install from the beginning correctly, you're going to continue to have it for the next 50 years. Yeah, yeah, and that's that storm that you're talking about. It's once every seven years. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's pretty much when we get it. And you might get through three or four winters, and then you have the winter like last year that it causes a lot of issues with ice damage. That'd be another problem, right, Bernie? In- improper installation of ice shield. Sure, improper. Not to, uh, and that goes back to the step flashings or over ice shield. So people will put ice shield on an entire roof. And, you know, in writing, most of the shingle manufacturers say that you can't do that because they want the roof to be able to breathe a little bit. A lot of different ways that people do things, uh, you know, a little bit different. And sometimes by the book, that isn't always perfect either. So it's real life and you got to do things. 
that makes sense at times. You know, ice shield goes on the, on the wall lines too, where we were talking about step flashings. You need to put your ice and water shield up the wall there. Snow drifts to there and it sits and refreezes and causes problems. One of my neighbors, uh, I don't know if I told the youth story, but it, for our new listeners, I, I, I got to tell you the quick story. So I walked down to his house and I put on my golf jacket. I acted like a homeowner. Now, most of the people in that round here know I, I've been around for 32 years. They know who we are. They know the show. And he had no clue who I was. So I went and I, I started talking about the roofing. So long story short, I said, hey, listen, I see you have flashing there. Why aren't you replacing the flashing? Because you only have about three foot of siding. You just pull that vinyl siding off and put new flashing on. He said, well, it's aluminum. I said, yeah, we have holes in it. He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to throw this out. You're taking a standard weight shingle off. You're putting a metric, which is five and five eighths. Every five eighths of an inch, you're going to accrue another hole. It's going to keep working its way up until you get to seven inches. When you get but is to he seven billing inches, for the new flashing? Everybody does. And that's why I always go back to him. Can I see your contract? Well, the homeowners are showing me the contract. It says, replace all flashings. And these roofers never do it. What Bernie's talking about, it, Bernie, doing it your way, I can tell you from experience, you're never having a problem. Ever having a problem. I got news for you. They didn't do that in my development. Uh, I, I, just, I said that. And did you have ice damming problems? I don't know whether it's ice damming or they weren't sure because I had the guy who owns the company look at my roof, mm -hmm. you know, not at the roof, but um, at the inside of the garage where, it, where the water came through. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't sure it was ice damming or just, you know, a leak in, certain, in a certain spot. It was ice damming. I'm was positive you had ice okay. damming. A leak in a certain yeah, spot would have create. it now, right? I shouldn't have it now. If it was done properly. But here's the problem. Hey, Bern, here's another one. You and I just talked about this yesterday. Is we were, I was in the, the town tour, I was doing work, doing a kitchen. I was talking to the inspector and I showed him the picture of a job right down the road. And I said, Listen, they had the gutters down. Why wouldn't they just pull the face off, wrap the ice shield down below it so they never have a problem? He said he agreed with me, but he didn't look at it. And I said, Here's another thing it was about a 16 inch overhang on a 12 12 pitch. They only put one row of ice shield, so they never even got into the main part of the house, the bearing part where the heat is that creates the melting of the ice that brings it back into the house. So they were up how far on the roof from the edge of the they roof? They weren't even inside the house at this part. So Bernie, what would you do in this circumstance? Most roofing contractors contract reads 36 inches or one roll from the gutter, but the actual rule of thumb is 20 inches inside the heat of wall, right? So if you have a 16 inch overhang, the 36 inch roll isn't going to get you to 20 inches inside of that wall. So you got to do either a double row or a row and a half, whatever you got to do to get to 20 inches inside, because the ice damming really doesn't happen at the overhang quite as much as it does where the heat loss is at the closest point to the roof. That's why you'll see it a lot of times over a big window, big bay window in the front of a house. So you got a lot of heat loss through there that's melting from the underneath, and that's where it causes bad problems with ice damming. Hmm, that's interesting. So my question is for all the homeowners when I do ask them this, it's very simple. How many times are you doing your roof? So if you get a new roof, say tomorrow, Bernie, you put a new roof on. Are you redoing my roof in three years, five years, or 40 years? Right. Yeah, 40. So why not do it right the first time? Yeah, I agree. But the issue is there's a lot of contractors out now. It's very easy to get a roofing license in Pennsylvania. And there's a lot of guys out there. And there's a lot of guys, you know, I'd say maybe half of which are doing it right. So if you get three estimates, you might have one or two guys telling you to do it the better way. And the other guy's coming in low on price. It's like basically you're rolling the dice. <laughs> yeah, but the job of the contractor really is to to try to teach the homeowner, right? That's what we have a program called Roof Rescue. The reason why we do it is to teach the homeowner the small things that we're talking about here. We do the same idea there. So for our listeners, the concept of that is based, it's a real understanding of knowing what you're getting. That's what we do here at the show is that you can't look at that price. You've got to roll. What are they going to be doing? What's the method of application, which is, are they putting the new flashing in? Are they putting the ice and weather shown correctly? And then who's doing all the work? Do you talk to people about having their contractors take pictures of the roof in the various stages? Yeah, yeah, we typically take pictures. Um, sometimes hard to ask the crews, especially a day like yesterday. It's 100 degrees. They're trying to, to get through and get done. It's hard to tell them to stop and take pictures. Of, but we do that. You know, about half of our homeowners are home throughout the day. You know, we take pictures of any plywood replacement. Like yesterday, I think we had 50 sheets on a job, um, which right now is outrageous, but it needs to be done. You'd almost have to take pictures and stages because once a stage is done, if it was done wrong, then you got to go back and redo the whole thing, right? Sure. By the time you notice it, it's covered up. Yep. I'm at 26 out of 26 jobs that I've seen in my neighborhood and around my local area where I watch the roofing get done. And every one of them, the fascia where they could pull it down, the ice shield was installed improperly. Now, I only approached a couple of them. I'm, I'm getting caught. That's what they do is they know me and they just run. Everybody runs when I, I just have questions. I'm just going to ask you a question. 
I always tell people, you can always come to my job. I'm, you, I, we're there. You, I'm always there. That you can stop by. But if you don't understand what you're getting, and if you're not really sure what you're getting, you really need to educate yourself. And that's what we're going to do here at the show. So take this into consideration is that I know it does cost more money, but even a roofer should be at this point saying, hey, listen, uh, this is the price, but I, here's an option that I would really consider that really only works in the wintertime. So it's not, it's a permanent thing, but if you're down Florida, th- what we're talking about is not going to help. If you're in some eastern, uh, south, and over the west, it's not going to help. Now, Dallas, uh, we had a call from Dallas when they got hit with the ice damming. So they did have a problem. But by doing it in half, over half of the country, putting the ice and weather shield on properly, you're never going to have a problem. So at least the roofer should be offering that option so they have that understanding that it could happen. So because when I, the reason why I do it is because I don't want problems. And I've been in business so long that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right so we don't have a problem. But everybody's about how can I sell you today? And it just makes it tougher for Bernie because he's the one out there competing against these guys. No doubt about it. Okay, Bernie. Thank you very much for some very, very good, good advice tips. and good tips. And uh, that's what people should be looking for when they get a roofing job. Thank you very, very much for coming on. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, Ron, now it's time for a feature segment. We're going to go to repeating from last week. This is an encore from Dan George, CEO of Escape Tiny Homes. Dan, I got to tell you, Dan was on last week. That show you did last week was one of the most popular shows we've done so far. Kudos. Kudos to you. We ran out of time last week to talk about all the project Escape has underway, so we're glad to welcome you back to to finish the conversation. So if you missed the podcast last week, the one we did last week with Dan, check it out because you you can find it on Apple. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Spotify. Yeah, on the major platforms. In addition to your tiny home development in Canoe Bay in Wisconsin, which was how got, got you started, your company has uh, developed a community of tiny homes called uh, Tampa Bay on the west coast of Florida. I believe you're in a new phase. Is that correct? That's right. The original uh, phase sold out, and uh, we're now into another phase. How many homes were in that original phase? 10. 10. Okay. So it's a substantial development. Okay. The next phase has 23. 23 on the same, Mm -hmm. the same location, or is it a sister location or what is it? It's, it's adjacent to the original location. Are all the homes meant to be owner occupied or some of them rentals that you'll manage? Uh, well, all of them are bought, but, uh, some of them are long-term rentals. In other words, people bought them with the idea that they're going to rent them out. Rent them. Uh, usually by the year. The the idea is to have, uh, especially in Florida now where housing and even rentals are frankly out of control price-wise, is to have something that's reasonably priced that uh, uh, in particular people who are, who are professionals um, can, can uh, rent. Uh, just so happens, uh, by coincidence, less than a mile down our same road, Amazon is just building a brand new headquarters. So uh, it's busy. It's you mean in Tampa? It is. Uh, it's very hard to describe. Um, I've been involved in the Tampa Bay area since the uh, 1970s. So what's happening right now is really unprecedented. And what I mean is in terms of pricing, in terms of development, it is it is um, truly insane. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's going on all over the country now. Uh, the new homes in Tampa Bay, how do they range in price yes. uh, from and to? Uh, we haven't set... Uh, exact pricing uh, because we've been working on infrastructure and and we're, we're really picky about things so we want things to look just so but uh, it'll probably start around a hundred a little over a hundred to we've got a few very unique units that are probably going to be more than 200 200 well I'm gonna is there's a jumping off point You've got a unit you sent me a, a YouTube link to. I'm going to give it to Kevin so he can get it on his on, on our Facebook page. But it's called the N1. Why don't you why don't you just walk us through and visualize that for us? Well, we try a lot of um we always try to stretch the limits and the boundaries of of what these units can be. And so we're not locked in on on uh, just a few models. We have models that are obviously very uh, popular that we build for all over the country, but we're also um, constantly experimenting. So we're very much influenced, uh, and from the beginning, 
myself, our architect, Kelly Davis, uh, was influenced by, of course, Frank Lloyd Wright, but we were also influenced by uh, the case study homes, for instance, uh, in California, and people like Joseph Eichler uh, and Neutra. And so we wanted to do a building that uh, was also an homage to the Sarasota School of Architecture. Uh, very open, a uh, lot of glass, uh, just something that has uh, a mid-century vibe, but yet updated. And so we did a, a building called the N1, uh, and we're in the process of developing also an N2 and N3. These would be smaller versions. Uh because we're really, we've really kind of fallen in love with that feel. It's very open, very airy, very light, uh, and feels very spacious. So it's a, uh, it's a completely different thing and something we've never seen, certainly in our industry. Uh, and that's what we try to do all the time. We're, we're always, we're always playing. We're always trying to find something that we think is really, uh, great in terms of feel in terms of livability in terms of uh and affordability well richard neutra or neutra or neutra neutra uh up the names again. no no I, i've heard it done both ways actually um he was known for his um you know really wild expansive use of glass right i, I think you really right. pulled pulled off that that look with this uh with the n1 yeah, you've got uh, a wall of glass that's uh, over 34 feet long. So uh, for a small building, uh, that's significant. And you have the the flat uh, uh, lines, the, the horizontal lines, and, and uh, uh, Neutra, of course, was, was part of that movement, mid-century movement, where glass was emphasized where the idea that the wall is just a partition uh between the outside and inside so it feels make makes buildings feel very very large and very open and we think that's critical in any tiny house but in particular with this we we've we it, it came out even better than what we thought it would and now i don't want to give it up yeah, it's it's absolutely gorgeous, and you really pulled off the mid-century uh, modern look in, with that with that house. It's it's magnificent, but that's it's a one-off, right? That particular building's a one-off. We a lot of t a lot of times we build one-off buildings, and then we use that general idea to to make production models out of. So you you use this, see what the limitations are, see how it came out, and then. Uh, work kind of backwards to say, okay, we're going to build this into our smaller production models. So it has that same look, feel, et cetera. But of course it's uh, somewhat smaller and it's more portable. N1 is a, is a big building for us. It's a big building. So it, it uh, is not readily available in terms of delivery and moving it around. We, we build it, we built it for a specific spot in the Tampa Bay village. Okay. Well, I anybody's listening now, you got to check out our Facebook page, Kevin. Yeah, what I'll is, post it up what there. Is, yeah. And it's just wonderful. And I'll send you the link. Uh, yeah, just send him a go, Kevin Kennedy, Your yeah. Valuable Home. Yeah. Uh, that's there. Yeah. So now we talked about pricing. I mean, they the prices are probably going up now that the Tampa Bay Lightning just won the Stanley Cup again. <laughs> so there, that's got to be a 20% increase for you. You're probably uh, liking that. Probably more, probably more than that. Well, it's 25% because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, <laughs> my Bucks, are world champions. So It's like the new Boston area there down there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we win everything. <laughs> I tell you. Well, Brady did it. I mean, first year, he did it, right? Yeah, it was really, I thought it was really great that the team carried him, you know, and got him at, at his advanced stage, got him over the line again. Well, I mean, he got Gronk back too, so that that was uh, that was. A oh, hit. that's true. There you go. Yeah, so, I don't follow much football, but he's he's a great quarterback. He's one of the best of all time. Yeah, they're saying yeah. he's not the best of all time. I don't I don't get that myself, but I I would call him the best of all time. Yeah, they're winning. They're winning like crazy. Down so there. anyway, let's get back to tiny houses here. Um, <laughs> do you have any other any uh, other developments planned anywhere in the country? 
Well, we're so busy with what we've got right now, and we're approached all the time by people who want to do developments, which we'll be glad to talk to people that, that we really got our hands full. So but will we do more? Probably, yeah. Uh, we help people already, um, some nice folks in the Hudson Valley uh, that we've built uh, – Kelly, I don't know, 12, 14 units for already. Another group in the Hudson Valley who we've built uh, six or 10 for already. So in some cases, we're just a supplier um, and just consult with them as to what they need uh, and supply that for them. And they're, they've done it extremely well. Uh, some people use them for overnight. Some people use it as a seasonal, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you're going to be a trendsetter. You know, thinking about it, if you pick a city that you're going to go to next, a lot of the professional teams are going to be jumping on board because they're going to probably win the championship. Buccaneers, <laughs> Lightning. So why don't you shoot somewhere? That's exactly right. How about come to Philadelphia? Yeah, we could use you. We could use you in Philly, Dan. Oh boy. Okay, that may be beyond what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on now to escape vacations. This is a whole other uh, facet of the company. Uh, you have company-owned tiny home rentals in. California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, and eight other states, right? Can you explain that program? Yeah, we do. Well, the program is actually two prongs. We have units that, that we have uh, in various locations, but we also work with uh, people who buy units from us. In other words, there's a lot of people who want to do one-off units, and they want to Airbnb and make money. Well, we put them on to our escape vacations uh, website free of charge. We, we don't take anything from them. We promote them. And so we're getting more and more people who obviously quickly figured out that they can buy a, um, a small unit like one of our boho units and they can make significant dollars off of it. So not all of these are owned by us. A lot of them are owned by just individuals, people who, uh, who have a great spot and want to uh, make income and, and, and we'll do whatever we can to promote that. How many, I know it's about 12 States, but how many are out there that are, that are being rented? You mean total? Yeah. People using our units for rentals. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I don't even know how many there, there are. I would guess somewhere around a hundred there, are the people everywhere, uh, as I said, who figured that out. And then now this huge ADU trend, uh, in particular on the West Coast, people who are buying these and using them as uh, auxiliary dwelling units, uh, not just for their family, but actually running them out, uh, which is a great idea because it is fast, affordable housing. And uh, the key to, to, the, uh, to our business, in my opinion, is that uh, this is 21st century housing. It's very affordable and not just, I'm not talking about just the upfront cost. The ongoing operational cost is so low that whether you're living in it or living in it part-time or renting it out, uh, it's just so economical. It's just, it's one of those dull moments. I mean, it, it's, it works and it works great. Yeah, that rental thing sounds pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind. It's yeah. yeah beside i got a serious question now beside florida the rental states that you have them in how many are by a golf course that is so it's so interesting that you said that yeah just you know because maybe i golf our, a little bit our unit our unit that's in atlanta is right next to uh where they have the um the tour championship every year our unit is technically the closest place you can stay um, I can't remember what's the name of the club, East Lake Club. Yeah, where they where they play the the tour championship every year in Atlanta. You can literally walk out of our building and easily just walk right onto that course. All right, after the recording, make sure I get that number. I want to I'm going to get down there next year. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, That's, I, as a matter of fact, I talked to my girlfriend about this because uh, she listened to last week's show, and I said, "Get these vacation uh, rentals all over the place," and we're thinking about maybe doing that uh, road trip next year if we can if we can get the bookings to do it. Yeah, they they they're extremely popular, extremely. So, so, like so book in advance, people, right? Uh, yeah, you want to you want to book well in advance. I mean, if you have specific dates, uh, because people use them not just for for vacation obviously people are running them to stay for instance you're, you're going to be in atlanta for some amount of time we'll have people who want to run it for a month 
but people who want to use it for business purposes. And uh, these can be used for such a variety of things that there's a real no-brainer aspect to this from the standpoint of owning one and renting it out because you're going to do extremely well. Yeah, you, got my, you got my mind yeah. going. You got my mind going because I, I have a rental in Philadelphia right now. When I get out of there, I am going probably going south and um, buy another rental unit or maybe a couple rental units. Very affordable. Yeah, the, the, you know, you're, you, for instance, a, a, a boho unit, which is one we recommend to be used for Airbnb. Your, your total upfront cost, assuming you finance it, you know, your monthly nut for the finance part of it might be four hundred bucks. Now. You can get reasonably, if you're in a decent spot, minimally 100 to 120 bucks a night. So do the math over 30 days. I mean, you, people, the, the return on investment is so fast that this is why people are starting to do this faster and faster all over the place because they they, they make a lot of money yeah basically and, uh, what you're saying there's you got maybe three nights you rent it for three nights you got your nut covered for the month yes and it's not unusual for these to to rent uh again if you're in a good location 20 to 30 nights a year or uh, excuse me a, a month so you're looking at two thousand twenty five hundred bucks i mean even with your overhead whatever you know, when you can be making $1,500 a month, easy. A lot of people like to do that. Cash is king. It's Cash is king. Sounds good to me. I'm, I'm going to seriously look into this when I get out of my place in Philly. So um, let me ask you this. Is this a good way for people to try it before they buy it? Do you, do you see some crossover? Yeah, of course. There? Okay. We recommend with everybody, I mean everybody, uh, who's interested in buying a unit, go and stay in one. Go and see one, go and touch one, go and, you know, experience it, uh, spend a night in it, spend a few nights in it, use it. I mean, you, you've got to, we think that the, the, uh, the best way for, in terms of selling a unit is a happy customer and a happy customer is one who's seen it and, and experienced it and they sell themselves. So we want people to see them. All right. Yeah, I, I would. I would imagine. I. I. And I'm going to try to. We're going to try to work that out for next summer. The, I would think the models vary per location too, depending upon what those people bought who wanted to get into that. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. There's there's people have bought. You know, some people want a one unit. That's one of our units, or a boho, or a vista, or or a traveler XL, or what have you. Um, for instance, the the uh, place in the Hudson Valley, they have a whole variety. So you can go and you can see, I don't think every unit we do, but they have almost every unit that we use uh, and sell. And it's important. Like I said, I think it's important that people experience it. Who's the one who came up with the names for these model units? I got to know who, who made some of these names up. Sounds like it's all Star Wars, some of these things. I'm trying to figure out when I was on your website going, who thought of this? This guy's got the lover of Star Wars. <laughs> Oh, They're interesting, man. but it catches your eye, though. It, it caught my eye. That's one of the things when I'm looking at it. I'm going, hey, we'll go back to the boho, take a look at it and see. It, but it catches your eye. Every unit that you see, before you see, if you look at the name, it will catch your eye. I, w- I, I wish I could tell you there was some great formula or something. It's, it's, we, we actually look at the unit and we think about what, what it's being used for. We, we go through and we, uh, uh, and we usually make a little list of names and then think this, this is what, for instance, the Vista unit uh, was because the whole building all has wraparound glass. It's all about the Vista. Makes sense. So, so with the Boho unit, what we were trying to do is make a unit that was really uh, user-friendly in, in a lot of different ways and was aimed at, to some degree, a younger audience. And it, you're, you're always thinking about uh, affordability. And you're always thinking about usability. So those two things kind of dictate. With the one unit, that unit was specifically built um, with the idea, uh, because it has a very heavy Japanese-type feel to it, um, and so it has that Zen quality, very open, very light, very airy. You you kind of fill in the blanks. And by that, I mean we, we give you the canvas, you fill it in. Uh, too many... My opinion is that a lot of tiny houses, uh, as we talked about last time, they try to jam everything in there. 
And so it gives you that rat in the maze feel. And sometimes you want to, and what we believe is kind of the opposite, which is leave it open, let people fill in with what they want, let, let, let the place breathe and let the space be open. So that, that was the concept there. So every unit we're, we're thinking about, like the N1 is a, is a, uh, it's clearly a, an homage to people like Neutra. So it, it, that's where these things originate. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, you pull you pull off the, the mid-century modern look in that in that one particular. Uh, yeah, we tried to well. we tried to update it too, um, and by that I mean we have a lot of uh, modern touches in there. Um, for instance, as you probably saw in the uh, video, we have the uh, Google system where you can control all the lights and the temperature and everything just. Very cool. uh, by by telling it, hey, shut the lights off, turn the temperature down, whatever you need. Um, so you 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 take just because something is an homage to somebody, it's it's uh, uh, it's not trying to be a copy. It's used as a jumping off point. Okay, where are we now, and what can we do, and how can we make this twenty uh, first uh, century? Well, we'll get that on Facebook, so everybody who's listening to the show can go and see that unit, and it'll be in Tampa. When? When will it be there? It'll be there within a month. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send you some pictures, too. Because we just had a, uh architectural photographer here who shot some pictures. So in the next day or two, I'll send you some pictures. That's super. I want to cover two more uh, of your programs. But before we do that, sure. Escape Vacations, Do we get the, does somebody get there on your site? Or is there a special site for that? Uh, there's Well, either way, there's a special site. It's escapevacations.net. Got it. Okay. So if you want to think about booking some of these phenomenal tiny homes around the country, go see that site. Go visit that site. Now I want to talk about um, something that really is interesting to me. You also have a free escape program for a free escape program for people who want to partner with you to introduce others to your tiny home concept. How does that work? Well, right now it doesn't. Oh, we okay. <laughs> We had, to, we had we suspended the program because we have so many people ordering units that we can't keep up with uh, with that program. So for now, it doesn't exist. Okay, but is it, is it done away with permanently, or will you reinst uh, reinstitute? Well, we, you know, it's it's hard to say. Things are growing so fast; we're not sure at this point. Okay, that there's there's something else I want to talk about. You have a, uh, a partnership with IKEA, right? <laughs> Makes a yeah, lot so makes we were, a lot of sense. We, it sounds like two uh, two really good uh, partners getting together to accomplish something great. Can you tell us about that? Well, IKEA approached us. Uh, this is before the pandemic, and said uh, we would like to have a in effect an IKEA unit built. Now, in practicality, what the unit is, it's one of our Boho XL units with just some slight changes to uh, some of the IKEA products. So uh, they approached us, they wanted to use it as a uh, uh, selling tool uh, for obviously IKEA. Um, and so the unit, uh, you can see the unit, what, what the unit basically looks like on our website. Again, it's under the Boho XL uh, unit, which is what it is. And uh, it, it was a it was an interesting project. Uh, unfortunately, it ran headlong right into the pandemic, and so what was supposed to be a big launch, et cetera, was put off. And then it was just revived recently, just in the last few months. I believe, I believe they took the unit around the country. I'm not sure. And then I think they were going to auction it off, or they were going to sell it off or something in other words uh, uh for charity or something like that okay and I, I would imagine that was uh we have ikea headquarters near us not too far from us maybe yes. 20 miles matter of fact the, the unit the unit was there oh it was it may there. still be sitting there okay so they're not going to do this internationally are they um we don't know mm-hmm Okay. Uh, they, we, our job was to build them a prototype, which we did. And, uh, it obviously got a lot of play and it, yes, it makes a tremendous amount of sense, uh, and in terms of their type of design and, and, uh, being energy efficient and, and, uh, et cetera. So it's a, um, it, it could be an ongoing project. Yeah. 
Yeah, but if it's close to us, we can maybe check that out. Maybe get some Swedish meatballs while we're at it. What do you think, Ron? Yeah, and yeah, anything I love for going free, to get that. Anything for free, uh, free, uh, free yeah. meatballs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the time we have left, we got about what eight nine minutes, minutes left. Yep. Eight nine minutes left. Tell us about your because um, we have we have believe it or not we've got a lot of millennials listening to our show and Gen Xers listening to the show. I mean, boomers listen to the show as well, but this seems like a concept that would be particularly uh appetizing to millennials to me am i right about that that's a big part of our audience but Uh all everybody you just mentioned um and we have a lot of boomers too uh because of the affordability factor because of the portability factor because of the uh, ability to finance this and you have very low payments it 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 works so well for so many different groups and the units are, as we were talking about a little while ago, are designed for the different groups. In other words, uh, uh, for instance, a millennial Gen X or the, a lot of them like the two story unit. They'll, they'll go upstairs and sleep upstairs, etc. For someone who's a boomer, no, don't want that. So they'll go more for, say, a Traveler XL, where you have this really nice first floor bedroom, or something like upcoming like N1, where it's all a single level. So the, the units are tailored for the different groups also, and for, again, how people are using them, including Airbnb, so that you have this whole wide variety of styles and uh, various options, which are, again, tailored to what people uh, and what group people are in and what they want. Uh, One of the big trends right now is everything's electric. So there's an option on any of our units that you can have the whole building electric. Uh, That's a huge trend. Uh, It it just depends on the individual and what they need, and and that's always our focus. But always in mind that uh, the affordability factor is so important, so that uh, whether you're just starting out in life or whether you're on the back end of life, like me, uh, you, you can you can easily afford this, and you know that you have, in effect, a house, not um, uh, just a trailer but an actual house because that's how the unit is built. Yeah. The N one unit in particular, we didn't, we, we didn't get into the nooks and crannies of it, but it's actually got a guest bathroom. Am I right about that? Yeah, it has a, it's a, it's a bath and a half. So on each end of the building, you have a very large master bedroom with a, with a large bathroom with a big uh, tile shower and etc. And then on the other end, you have a guest bathroom. So when you have people over or, somebody stay the night or whatever you have a you have another bathroom you have a full laundry facility you have a full kitchen you have a full i mean it's a um you know honestly i'd like to live in it i mean it 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 affords me everything that i want and uh, sometimes um you build things with people people specifically in mind uh, a younger couple or older couple, people maybe even work at home. It has plenty of room to work at home. Um, it, it just, it just ticks all the boxes. So, uh, those kind of units are, are, uh, are really critical to us too. Yeah, Dan, we're, we're, I, we're, I will we're, say we're to you when you, when you build these homes, cause it, I mean, this, Ron, this is how corny I am. The first thing I thought of is that how easy it would be to clean Oh, absolutely. I mean, with my OC day, oh, no. I think this would be great. You're, you're, believe me, we think, oh, no. When you think about, we, we were just talking about rentals. What, what I, my background, our background, we own Canoe Bay, as we talked about last time. Canoe Bay is a, uh, is a very unusual architectural resort. Well, when you run a resort or you're running hospitality, your number one thing you're thinking about is durability and usability and cleanability. cleanability. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So with our units, yeah, you can clean all of this very fast and you don't have a lot of places, thank goodness, where you collect junk. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it makes you a, a, 
be much more efficient just in terms of, of how you're living. And you don't waste a lot of time, money, et cetera, on these things, which frees up your time to do other stuff. Yeah, Rod had his office in there. He'd cover that floor in probably about 15 seconds. <laughs> He's got a whole floor covered with papers. You ever walk in, it's just, that's what he has. I got a lot of, thing, I got a lot of things going. He's got a great you know, you, you, you make a good point. You make a good point there. And that is, if you've got the space, you're probably going to buy the stuff or bring it with oh, you to course. fill up the space, you know? Of so, course. You guys know better than I do, probably, how houses over the years got incredibly large. Mm-hmm. For no reason. For no reason. Absolutely. Are, families are getting smaller. Houses are getting bigger. That makes no sense. It, it, I, I mean, it, agree with you. Absolutely it, agree it, with you. It, it's you. You look at some of these homes from the say the fifties or sixties, and there's plenty of space in them, but they're much smaller, and they're much more in a lot of ways efficient. Yeah, I grew up and, in a small house. I grew up in a small and, house, and I. And, and, and I, I just love small spaces. Well-designed small spaces to me are, are, the, are the future. Agree 100%. Dan, we got to leave it there. Uh, we're out of time, Great. but um, tell us, uh, what, what's your website? It's escapetraveler.net. Right, and I'm going to send you an email because I've got two people, my cousin and and, uh, and her daughter, who are both interested in talking to you about units. So uh, oh, we'll get thanks. an email out to you, Okay. You guys have a great day. Hey, you have hey, a great Dan, day. I got to tell you this. So after uh, your show aired, I did get one negative comment about the show. And uh, it happened to be my in-laws. Me talking about rolling them right back out of the house if I didn't <laughs> like them being there. So that was the only negative comment. Everybody loved it. But my in-laws, I, I saw my mother-in-law come down and she gave me the look. I'm like, oh boy, she did hear the show. So the upshot of that was they got him out of the house. Yeah, <laughs> knocked me up the butt. There you go. So they, well, my wife was saying about me putting a, a, another house out there that they can just roll me out there. So yeah, there that's a go. possibility. It I mean, works. look, we, we definitely can do that. But looking forward to looking into these homes myself, and uh, I'll probably down in the Tampa area in probably the next uh, probably six months when it gets cold again. And I, I like to check these houses yeah. out just down yeah. there. I'm looking yeah, forward absolutely. to it. So Dan, thanks again for doing this. Thanks a million, Dan. That's this week's podcast. Your valuable home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 